Hi, everyone, and welcome to Talent Talks. I'm Rob Adams, and on today's podcast, we are excited to be joined by Georgina Pauly, partner at Beecher Reagan. Today, Ms. Pauly joins the program to discuss changes in diversity recruiting caused by COVID-19 and how organizations can do their part in promoting a diverse workforce. Georgina, thanks for your time. Nice to talk with you. Nice to talk with you, Rob, and thank you for having me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. We always appreciate our guests coming on. Let's dive right into this. How has diversity recruiting been impacted by COVID-19, and how will post-pandemic recruiting differ from before the pandemic? Yeah, fantastic questions. So... I think, you know, diversity recruiting as a result of COVID is one of one of the big issues of the pandemic. So, you know, when we look at the data, we understand that uh, women and ethnic minor- minorities have suffered a large portion of the job losses due to the pandemic, um, as they make up the majority of the people working in roles that are directly affected. So retail and hospitality is an example. Um, and then for those women who are left in the workforce, many are seriously struggling to balance the demands of their job taking care of their families and in many cases, obviously homeschooling. Um, So in the US, you know, there's a number that's been banded around in the last couple of weeks that two million females have actually left the workforce between February and October 2020. Uh, And more specifically, black women and Latinas currently face an unemployment rate that is double what it was in February 2020. So, you know, then there's the impact obviously on those who've remained in the workforce, but as I mentioned, balancing homeschooling um, and ultimately, therefore, have not been able to take advantage of career opportunities, apply for new roles, uh, take on extra work, which ultimately could impact them falling further behind when it comes to being promoted or being considered for promotions and other leadership opportunities in the future. So even when the pandemic is over, it's unlikely that things are just going to bounce back. Um, And I think we should expect to see issues around mental health and burnout that ultimately will negatively impact the diversity diversity talent pool. Um, And of course, diversity is more than just gender. Um, The ethnic minorities, LGBTQ, Q groups and people with disabilities have been impacted too. Um, many firms across the board that were investing in DEI, so diversity, equ- equity and inclusion initiatives um, to attract high and retain diverse candidates pre-COVID um, have, you know, in many cases been forced into survival mode. Um, so they no longer have the funds um, or the attention span of leaders who've been pulled to focus on other things that they, you know, see as kind of more business critical at the moment. So with unemployment rates, you know, there's the temptation that um, if people need staff, they're going to pick the low hanging fruit um, as opposed to actually really thinking about, you know, investing in diversity and and those um, people to kind of build up the leadership in the future. So, you know, the the concerning thing, I guess, is that perhaps this is going to set us back a number of years in terms of the progress that was made already. Mm. The, the mental health piece is that's what's rolling around in my brain listening to you talk. It's such yep. a such a big part of not mm-hmm. only in the workforce, of course, but globally, the mental health factor is just yes. so huge. It is. I mean, it's funny, you know, I'm on on videos with my clients all the time. And uh, yesterday I was speaking with a client who was literally making lunch for her kids while, you know, had me kind of in the other hand on her phone. So, you know, people are really having to balance a lot of things right now. Um, And and then you ask about post-pandemic recruiting. Um, So, 
so from what I'm seeing and bearing in mind, you know, I work in the professional services industry, which comparatively speaking has actually fared pretty well. So, you know, the desire to attract and hire diverse candidates is actually as strong as ever. Um, however, there are fewer diverse candidates in the market for the reasons obviously that we've mentioned. And so the success of these organizations is, is really around winning the war on, on that talent and being able to build and sustain diverse teams will just become more competitive and as challenging as ever. So, um, you know, in this industry where there's a visible desire and need for change in order to remain relevant and competitive, because that really is the case, we are going to continue to see more diversity-led searches. Um, we will see competition around hiring. And it's going to be even more important for organisations to look at their full offering. So not just financial, but cultural. Uh, you know, what's the opportunity for progress? What's their kind of vision and values? Um, candidate experience, slick interviews, um, you know, strong cultures of equality and, and inclusion are going to be absolutely imperative. Um, however, you know, above and beyond this, diverse candidates at the leadership level within our industries are going to be looking at those firms and doing a lot of research around that reputation and track record there. So um, when we talk about post-pandemic recruiting, um, I'm going to talk about culture a lot, by the way, <laughs> in this interview. <laughs> um, I think it's important to recognise that those companies who are successful at attracting diversity are those adapting culturally and presenting themselves as diverse employees of choice. Um, and look, my, my advice to firms looking to increase their diversity and their leadership teams is just expect to be competing for talent. Be prepared to articulate your value proposition and demonstrate how your culture is conducive to providing equal opportunities for all. Um, if not, you know, then there's work to be done there. Um, companies will need to be prepared to pay a premium and prepared that a buyback, um, so a counteroffer situation is likely and could be significant. Um, and actually, you know, could swing the game in the current employer's favour, because unless there really is a clear push factor from an organisation, the pull factor will need to be very, very strong. And again, you know, not just money, but other factors, as we're discussing, too, um, you know, with the COVID and, and the aftermath, you know, there's also a chance that people are going to be erring on the side of stability and will be tougher to prize away. Georgina, do, do you expect there to be a significant change in how leadership teams are comprised in the next five years? And will we see more diversity? Do you expect leaders to be more diverse? Yeah, really interesting um, question here. I, I think, look, ultimately, um, the reality is the world in which we live in today, um, a lack of a diverse and in inclusive workforce is going to seriously impact business performance. So, to remain competitive, companies are going to have to be innovative and relevant. And to achieve this, they need different thinkers with different experiences to generate ideas, new products that are going to solve a variety of problems for their customers. Um, and their customers, in turn, are obviously most likely a broad and diverse portfolio of companies um, where strong customer centricity is critical and where undiverse teams will struggle to make that connection um, with, with those businesses. So I think this is going to take a different type of leadership team than, than what we've seen in the past, um, which is by definition diverse and focused on kind of driving agile, flexible, adaptable um, workforces that, that live and breathe the organization's vision and values. Um, saying that, you know, my expectation as a as a female is absolutely that that we should be more diverse. Um, and I think I expect that 
as a group of people all working towards a shared goal that we can achieve that. However, having expectations is one thing and meeting those expectations, you know, is, is something different and it requires a serious agenda, effort and commitment to make that happen. So um, I, I believe in the majority of cases, again, kind of reverting back to the companies that I support in, in the professional services space is that the desire, it, you know, is, is really their hard goal. Um, I haven't spoken to a client in the last year um, where building diverse leadership teams is not top of their agenda. Um, but like I said, you know, it's about, you know, putting your money where your mouth is and, and actually kind of making that happen. Um, so, you know, as I've said before, we've seen a, a significant number of females drop out of the workforce or put career decisions on hold. Um, you know, the expectation is that, that you know, we, we could go back to more normal ways afterwards, but we're not going to know that or what the true knock-on effects will be until afterwards. So, you know, again, kind of looking at the landscape specifically here in the UK, um, there was an article published by HR Wire magazine. Um, there was some data from consulting firm Green Park that the number of black chairs, CEOs and CFOs in the FTSE 100 has dropped to zero uh, with a pipeline reduction of um, kind of, 0.9% from 1.4%. So that's a you know, significant drop. Um, and then, you know, they're also saying that ethnic minority backgrounds um, are just under 5% of the leadership roles within, you know, within the top jobs um, within the UK. So obviously, there's a lot of work to be done mm -hmm. here. And um, I would say from a gender balance perspective, the data looks a little bit more promising. Uh, when I look again at the FTSE, about one in three directors are women, which is a 13% increase in the last decade. Um, and, you know, look, I'm an optimist. So <laughs> I'm going to remain hopeful that this will be achieved. Um, I'm fortunate to work with clients who are trying to support them, obviously, with their diversity leadership hiring. And I've seen firsthand the commitment and energy behind reaching this goal that a lot of these firms have. Um, and there's been a lot of successes. However, it is an uphill struggle. Each firm has their unique challenges. And so it is important that they have clear outcomes defined and accountability to achieve these. Well, what can organizations do then to promote diversity and how can they work to overcome unconscious bias? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I mentioned that culture word again. Sure. Um, in the last week, I, I've heard the phrase culture eats strategy for breakfast uh, yeah, <laughs> a zillion times. Um, and so, you know, it's really no different in, in this case um, and actually very relevant as we have this conversation having a diversity strategy and actually executing on that strategy and driving new behaviors and internal cultures are two different things. Equality and inclusion or measures pertaining to a culture of belonging have come uh, from the top, have to come from the top down and they have to be sticky. So setting a strategy to achieve X number of diverse leaders by 2022, for example, but where the internal culture is not inclusive or accepting, will only mean that there is a revolving door of talent and after a period of time will reputationally have a knock-on effect and make it harder for that company to, to bring in diverse people down the line. So clients promoting diversity live and breathe inclusion. Um, they drive a culture that understands the why, you know, why is it important? What are the implications of us not achieving this? And they hire and promote leaders that share the values and who are accountable. So these people create effective recruitment programs at all levels to attract more diverse candidates. 
And then once these people are in the firm, they provide programs internally that provide support and encouragement for minorities to thrive, you know, take on new challenges, um, even if they may be a stretch and encourage them to apply for promotions. Um, and lastly, you know, they create an environment where people feel comfortable, um, safe in being themselves and creating this sense of, of belonging. Um, a, a good example is um, SAP, mm-hmm. which um, was just uh, given the top spot, number one, for diversity as an organization. Um, Judith Williams, their head of people sustainability and chief diversity and inclusion officer, shifted the conversation from awareness to action. So, you know, we all get fixated on, are you launching an unconscious bias training program? Are you launching a mentorship program? Are there employee network groups having events celebrating Black History Month? You know, she says, Um, and all that stuff brings attention, which is great. But once you have that attention, then you have to do the hard work of actually driving the cultural change to embed it within the organization. Zurich Insurance was another good example that has recently been in the news. Um, They're the first insurer to be awarded disability confidence status um, and sign up to the Valuable 500, which is basically a government scheme here in the UK that helps employers recruit disabled staff and support them with a range of accessibility solutions. Um, And they've also seen, well, Pre-COVID, and just to be clear on this one, they saw a 20% rise in female applicants at the leadership level um, by gender-neutral job descriptions um, and um, also um, so Zurich Insurance, and they'd seen a 20% rise in female applicants to senior roles by gender-neutral job descriptions and then also offering flexible and part-time or job share options. Um, so, you know, I think these are kind of great initiatives that organisations can do to promote diversity. Um, looking at Accenture, they just celebrated their 16th annual International Women's Day in 2020, which is a conference they hold to discuss and share ideas around diversity, equality and inclusion. Um, And also a firm that's been very vocal about its commitment to DEI and achieving a gender balanced workforce by 2025. So, you know, that's a pretty, um, you know, a pretty high target and and pretty significant to achieve. um, And they are absolutely, you know, set set to do that. So for me, you know, in terms of promoting diversity, I I kind of always think of it in this way. Um, Success is first understanding the rules of the game. Once you understand the rules, then you know how to win and you know that you you can win. If the rules are such that it's impossible to win, then why even play? Um, So if we look at this in a business context, if diverse candidates feel that the rules aren't set up for them to win in an organisation, then they're either going to lose hope and give up or they're going to leave and join somewhere where the platform is fair and that gives them a chance. Um, and, and I think that, you know, is for me just super important when, when we kind of move on to this topic of unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. Um, because, because I think that unconscious bias, if we're honest, we're probably all guilty of that or have been guilty of that at some point. You know, I like that person. They went to the same university that I did or they come from the same town where I come from. You know, th- these are very kind of easy things to, to kind of fall into by accident. Oh, sure. I think. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think there's a, there's a few things, right, that we, we can put into place here. And um, I was listening to a podcast over the weekend with Jeffrey Moore, who's an organizational theorist and management consultant who supported 
some of the largest firms um, in the world. And I think what was really important, what was really interesting, sorry, about what he was saying was how you ask the questions to people and or how you're asking the question of, of your team, which is not who would be the best fit for our team, but rather what kind of skills would be the best add. And looking at the team that we have today, what new characteristics could we add that are going to offer the most leverage for the business, for what we want to achieve as an organization? Um, You know, PwC, uh, again, you know, recently published their gender and ethnicity pay gap report, which is a really positive step forwards and shows their commitment, you know, to driving diversity. They've done other things such as setting up initiatives to focus on career sponsorship for female and ethnic minority staff, um, but but really also leveraging technology. So almost taking the decision out of the human and, and obviously putting it into AI and algorithms that then would, um, for example, you know, in a PwC world where you're allocating work, who's going to work on this project, who's going to get the opportunity to work with that client, it's not, um, it's not subjective. Mm. Um, and so I think some of those things are really interesting. It, it, you know, IBM's been doing that for a number of years. Um, I think it's going to be something that we will continue to see, whether that's obviously kind of uh, you know work allocation or whether it's when someone's CV or resume comes into the business, it then gets put through an, an algorithm as opposed to a kind of a human decision. Um, you know, and, and another way that we could do that, which I've seen with clients is actually, they just say, just take the name off the CV um, and kind of gender neutralize yeah. the whole thing so that you just can't tell obviously who that person is behind the paper and you're making judgments for the experience of that individual. Um, another thing as well, and um, I guess, you know, rightly or wrongly, uh, <laughs> you know, a number of com- companies are actually looking at how bonuses and incentives are tied into diversity initiatives and mm. diverse teams, um, which obviously is, you know, if you're annual bonus is is you know going to be partially made up of something like that obviously you're going to pay more attention to it and may just be more conscious of your unconscious bias <laughs> <laughs> um how i guess what i want to know is you know we're talking two different continents how do mm-hmm. how does diversity and inclusion efforts how do they differ from the uk to the us and, and vice versa you know i this is a tough one for me because I've lived I've lived in the US and obviously I'm from the UK um, and I, I think that I look at it at a, at a kind of higher level because for me this is a, this is a global problem um, you know it's obviously not just in the US and it's not just in the UK and I think that both both countries ultimately have their challenges with it. Um, and while there are nuances, of course, you know, from a diversity and inclusion standpoint and just different challenges on either side, I think that both have a lot of work to do. Mm. And uh, and therefore, you know, again, when I'm working with my clients, typically they're, they're kind of global clients or they're international clients. And and I think really, you know, just that expectation and drive around diversity really does not differentiate between between the countries or the continents um you know at all interesting wow uh, so many great answers today georgina and it, and 
just to wrap up, any final thought that you want to add in? Because you've hit on a lot today. Any <laughs> any way you want to sum this up? I mean, you know, look, I, it, it's a really interesting topic, and it's one that's that's constantly changing. And 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 for me, I'm constantly learning. So you know, there there are things, and I was thinking about some of the the kind of questions and and the answers that I gave today. And I'm sure that there's just so much more depth that we can go into. But I think um, I'll kind of leave on a positive note, which is, you know, I- I'm happy to be a part of this. I'm I'm grateful to be able to work with big corporate clients that really are, you know, genuinely behind making a difference here. Um, and, and I hope that COVID, you know, really isn't going to set us back too far in terms of what, what we've set out to achieve. Well, you're certainly part of the solution then. And that's, that's great. We need people who so. are part of the solution. <laughs> it, it's important to have a diverse workforce and the executive recruiting industry is definitely doing its part to promote diverse leaders to their clients. This was an incredibly insightful discussion as to how diversity has been impacted by COVID and your expectations for the future. And and Georgina, I really appreciate your time today. Yours too, Rob. It's been great to meet you. Thanks so much. Same here. That's all the time we have here today. I'm your host, Rob Adams, alongside Georgina Pauly of Beecher Reagan, and this is Talent Talks.